Hello, and welcome to Think Hard, the podcast where two trained philosophers think hard about the real world. I'm Danielle Lasusa. I'm a philosophical coach, and I teach at Portland Community College in Portland, Oregon. And with me today, as always, is my incredible co-host, Jose Muniz. Hey, everybody. I'm Jose Muniz, and I teach at Lehman College in the Bronx. Today, we're going to talk about sex work. Well, actually, Danielle, we're going to talk about whether sex work, specifically prostitution, should be criminalized, decriminalized, legitimized, approbated. Mm. <laughs> We're going to talk about what should our society, our country say about prostitution. Oh, I love this topic. So, Danielle, as always, I like to start with the pre-theoretical, just kind of get some ideas out before I get into my actual thesis. And right. I do have a thesis here. Let's start. Okay. Do you think sex work should be illegal? Well, I, let me rephrase that. Prostitution. Because, you know, there's lots of different kinds of sex work. Right. So by prostitution, just so we're all very clear, you mean people paying other people to have sex with them? Yes. Right. Yeah. Should it be legal? Or illegal? Mm, yeah, I think it should be legal. Why? Well, I think about the reasons that it is illegal. Mm -hmm. And certainly there are lots of good reasons that people may think that it should be illegal, primarily to protect those who may be doing this work against their will. Human trafficking people. Yeah, exactly. But that seems to me to be a different kind of crime. If you have two consenting adults who mm -hmm. are both okay with this exchange, to make it illegal just seems to me to be just like a leftover from our puritanical roots. Mm -hmm. And I don't see anything about it that is fundamentally dangerous. And I think that it could, in fact, be made less dangerous if it were legalized and there were systems in place to help regulate it. And so I would say your approach to this question, I love this. It's almost as if we're philosophers working together. <laughs> your approach here is to take the negative argument. What are these reasons for it being illegal? And you look through them and you say, well, they don't really seem to stand. Mm -hmm. Clearly, there can be these bad cases, but there can be these bad cases of slavery and all sorts of things. You know, someone right. could be human trafficking into working construction. Should construction be illegal? Right. Someone could be human trafficked into working in a garment factory. Should mm -hmm. garment work be illegal? No, clearly. It's a different kind of problem, and so that's wrong. And then even more so, by making it legal, you can give it a legitimacy. You can make people safe. You can make it so that people are not just sort of physically safe, but also economically safe. Mm -hmm. You pay into your social security. And right. when you get old, you can get your social security check. God, could you imagine? <laughs> well, what makes it seem so weird? I just think it would be incredible. People could like be a prostitute as a job and like pay into their social security for that. I think that would be kind of revolutionary and amazing. So that's one side. Mm -hmm. And I think you represent what I would consider probably the mainstream position amongst, I would say, the enlightened in America. Mm -hmm. I see a lot of people and they, they're like, prostitution is sex work and sex work is a legitimate form of work. Mm -hmm. And making a legitimate form of work illegal for some kind of religious or puritanical reason is clearly wrong. Mm -hmm. Right? 
I don't think that there's anything fundamentally immoral about this act. And even if people did think it was fundamentally immoral, I think that's a different question than whether or not it should be legal. Right. Get your morality out of the public square. Mm -hmm. You know, you can run your own life or maybe even family's life if you're in a position of authority within a family, but keep your personal morality out of the public square. Mm -hmm. There is another position. Okay. (laughs) And I think this is where we're going to kind of spend our time here. And it's called the Nordic model. Are you familiar with the Nordic model? No. It is the model of dealing with prostitution from the perspective of particularly Sweden. So Sweden is the country that I think people call it the Nordic model because Sweden's in Nordica. I don't know. Anyway. (laughs) Yeah. I'm an idiot. And in that country, you would not be arrested as a prostitute, Mm -hmm. but prostitution itself is still illegal. And they arrest Johns and they Mm. provide services for men and women who are prostitutes, but it is still considered illegal. And if you talk to these people about the Nordic model, there are many reasons that are given. But the strain that interests us today is a radical feminist view that prostitution, even if it is by a fully consenting person, is part and parcel of a dehumanizing degradation of women Mm. by objectifying them into a thing for primarily men's gratification. Mm -hmm. And that even if it is a fully consenting man or woman engaging in it, it's still wrong, one. So that's kind of a moral argument or an ethical argument. Mm -hmm. And two, it is still dangerous for not just the sex worker, but general society, because the people who engage in that will objectify other women and other people, will have less empathy, will be more likely to treat other women who are not sex workers in a very violent way. Mm-hmm. This is not the thesis I'm coming up with, but right off the bat, how would you respond to someone like that? Who told you this story? And yeah. so they're like, you think this great thing can be done by consenting adults. And even if you think it's a consenting adult, it's still participating in this degradation and objectification of women that is itself dangerous. Right. Well, so a couple things. One, I think just to acknowledge that not all prostitution is men paying women for sex. There are other ways that that can happen. That is the one that is most common. Mm -hmm. Just something to note. Given that it is the most common that men are paying women for sex, I think the question that I immediately have is, is there something special or different about sex per se as the kind of thing that the woman gives that is different than giving other kinds of labor. You're right on the, it's almost as if you were in a seminar on this. That's the very heart of the fight. Right. I'm happy we're getting into it. Yeah. Let's say I'm just, I'm me and I decide to go, I don't know, be a checkout person at the local grocery store and I'm checking groceries. I'm selling my labor, which is passing your groceries over the scanner and doing the exchanges. And like, that is a way of me saying I'm selling my time. I'm selling this skill set pushing the right buttons or whatever, or I don't know, whatever <laughs> skill set one needs for this in exchange for this money. Well, is that fundamentally different than me selling a different form of labor, which is sexual encounter? And then you can get like even closer with the examples. Like if I give you a massage, like now we're dealing with the physical, mm-hmm. but it does make me wonder, is there a fundamentally a difference in the type of labor that makes one objectifying and the other not? Oftentimes, 
the people who make what you've just said come with the socialist argument. Right. The idea that came out of Karl Marx, which is like, look, man, every laborer in a factory is literally trading their body for some wage. Right. And you can think of like the old factories where people were treated very horribly and they're, you know, they're literally just giving their bodies to this yeah. factory and then they get like a buck 95 at the end. Right. <laughs> and right. you say, well, how different is it? Right. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know. I think it's different. <laughs> you, th- you think so? Okay. I think it's so different. Say how. Right, look, well, let me say this right now. Uh, this is going to be a little graphic. I, it's unavoidable okay. because of the topic. Yeah. yeah. I just want to say right now, before we get into this, if you are not cool with hearing some graphic stuff, please don't listen. <sighs> <laughs> All right. Good disclaimer. Okay. All right. Uh, All right. Just wait one second to maybe they can fumble to their phone. Okay. (laughs) You can ejaculate on top of your prostitute. It might suck to be an office worker at the City University of New York. (laughs) I will never have bodily fluids put on me and it be cool with the university. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. Yes. All people in the workforce are giving of themselves, but that there is a particular end of the spectrum when someone can literally put their body fluids on you i'm not even talking about in you because i think you know prostitutes can demand condoms right Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i think it's a potential right but there seems to be a much more extremeness to how a prostitute's body is given over in the labor that flips into something different than just saying, uh, I'm an office worker. What do you think of that? Yeah, but like nurses get bodily fluids on them. It's part of their job. And they consent to it. Yeah. I think it could go both ways. If it were legal in the way that we would want it to be regulated and so that people could actually come to it in an exchange that was not coercive, then a sex worker, a prostitute could say, no ejaculating on me. That is not part of what I do. And if you do that, then no refunds. We're done. <laughs> refunds? <laughs> or whatever it well, is. After the ejaculation, I'm done. I don't really care about a <laughs> refund. <laughs> well, whatever. Maybe like something happens. Maybe you like get blacklisted or whatever people do when businesses respond in a way that says like you are not a good customer. Okay. So let me just take one more stab at this so that we just give the fairness to the nordic model case right because the nordic models they're probably screaming at their phones right now or however they're listening to this podcast thinking we're not giving a fair shake to them okay well the other way of looking at that is that thinking about women as if it is fundamentally objectifying for women to be paid for sex then I guess my question is about agency. I know that there are some feminists that have this idea that sex or prostitution or pornography by its very nature is degrading to women. And that even if you say you're cool with it, you're being brainwashed by the system somehow, or you're perpetuating sexism, or you are willingly objectifying yourself and therefore doing a bad thing. And I don't know. I'm not actually sure what I think about that. Part of me like wants to say, like, well, what about the agency of the woman? That means that she's kind of stripped of personal agency. And part of me thinks, like, well, maybe that might be as true. It comes off as a little patronizing. Well, patronizing and patriarchal. This idea that we know better than you dumb prostitute. You think you're all free and consenting, but you're still participating. You have false consciousness. It's that stupid intellectual. Yes. And we'll get to that in a second. Okay. (laughs) But let me just say one more thing about this bodily fluids thing. Yes, a nurse does get bodily fluids on their body, maybe even often. But 
getting bodily fluids as a nurse, I think the Nordic model would say, is different than getting bodily fluids on a prostitute because of the meaning attached to it. Mm. Doing your quote-unquote professional job as a nurse and getting this bodily fluid is still respecting you as a healthcare professional. You're doing this job. You're a human being trying to heal someone. Getting bodily fluids on you as a prostitute, they would say, is part of the whole idea that this woman is literally just a receptacle for ejaculate. Mm -hmm. Can you see their argument on that? That Mm -hmm. this is what makes it a different kind of work. Yeah, but I do think that you're already working within the attitude about sex and about sexual relationships that is degrading toward women to treat a prostitute in that case. To think of her as a receptacle, I think, is Mm -hmm. not actually necessary in thinking about that sex act. Really? Well, I mean, maybe in this culture, you know, that's the way it is seen by a lot of people, perhaps most people. But I don't think it's inconceivable to think, all right, ejaculate, semen, it's life, it's expression. We're going to celebrate our fertility or, you know, whatever. (laughs) I don't know. Okay. So let me just say this right now. Danielle, I love you. I love I'm you trying as a friend. really hard here. I, I love you as a friend and I love you as a podcaster. Like, I just want to say this. But there are moments. I don't think this is a bad thing, but I just want <laughs> everyone to know where we are in this conversation. Okay. For all of how I'm weird and I say contrary things, I am of the old school philosophy, which is like, I want to try and have a consistent position across all time. Yeah. Right? Uh-huh. So we had an episode way back in the day about how sex is always objectifying someone. You can't get out of it. It's a big problem. How do we solve this? And like, we didn't know how to get through it. And it was, it was really bad. Yeah. Right. And we ran through this and we went through all the reasons why you can't help but objectify someone in sex right now. You are a different, you're a more modern philosopher. And I don't mean that in a bad way because you can find a way to hold all these different things at once. And it is unbelievably frustrating to me because I think you are absolutely wrong. I think you're absolutely wrong, but I respect the shit out of it because I see you not just saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're like actually fighting this insane fight to thread the needle, right? The thing is, I'm not sure that I actually believe that. I'm just saying. (laughs) I just did all of this and now you're going to see that. (laughs) I'm just saying like, I don't know. I don't know. I do think that we live in a culture in which a man jacking off onto a woman typically means something to both of them. What do you think it means? Maybe this is the way out. What? What? Let's try to actually interpret. What do you think it means when someone jacks off on somebody? I don't. I don't. No one's ever asked me that question before. I don't quite know. I mean, I think it depends. On a lot of different things. I think it means different things to different people. And I don't think that it is consistent throughout the culture. Sometimes I think that both partners can find it very erotic. I think that it can be a playful expression. It could be a more malicious and kind of feeling like this person's not worth anything and so I can do what I want with them. Mm -hmm. But I don't think it necessarily is that way. I will agree to disagree on this one because I feel like we're just rehashing the last episode. I mean, that older episode. And like listeners have 
already heard what we've had to say about that. So let me just say this. We disagree. I would say it's unavoidable to objectify someone in sex because part of what it means to orgasm is that you're so centered on your pleasure in a way that is, I think, untrue of how my manager treats me in the office or how the dean treats me in the classroom. That like, yeah, I'm being exploited and I'm being treated like shit because I should be making a lot more money in life. But it's not the same kind of thing. And maybe you can restate your position on the opposite and then we can move on. I guess I'm just not convinced that it's not the same thing. I don't think that sex is necessarily always objectifying. And to be fair, in that previous episode, you know, this was episode 14. I'm not a... Jesus, I don't know how you do that. I, I know, it's just kind of still trap memory. I'm not a masturbation couch. <laughs> um, <laughs> Thank you. And the reason it was so challenging for me is because that episode we talked about objectifying people particularly in work situations, right, where I mm -hmm. didn't want to be objectified by my peers when I'm trying to be an intellectual colleague and sex is not part of my job. But if sex is part of my job, then I don't know. I think there is a different way to view it. And I think that for a lot of people, sex can be much more transactional. It could be more playful. People can ascribe their own meaning to it. And it doesn't necessarily have to be, I own you. I can do whatever I want with you. Because I don't think that that's what prostitutes think about themselves. And I don't think that that like, particular sex act necessarily represents that. But if we also remember from 14, and then I'm going to shut up and move to the second part of the argument. If we also remember from 14 that what was difficult about sex and objectification is that feeding your need brings you back into yourself and the other person is a thing for your gratification. And what kind of saved it was exactly what you said, right? It's clearly wrong in the workplace because it's the wrong context for it. So what you need is to have a larger context. And what the Nordic model is going to say is that an economic transaction can't possibly be the context for this higher order sex because it's literally just about the money. You are purchasing a person in the same way as you purchase a chair, the same way as you're purchasing a Big Mac. And so, yes, maybe in a loving, playful relationship, or a cool weekend fling, it's different because there's a context that treats the other person as something that is literally that, a person and not a chair and not a Big Mac. And so like they would say, yes, 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 this context matters. And yes, sex can be other things. Although some of them, they'll say things like sex is always rape. I don't understand what that argument is, so mm -hmm, I don't mm -hmm. fight with it because I just don't understand that argument. Mm -hmm. But many of them will say, yes, in other kinds of contexts, sex could clearly be that. But when it's simply transactional and economic, it can't possibly be anything else but objectifying, just the nature of what it means. And just like there can be a spectrum of workplace exploitation. So as an office worker, I don't have it that bad. But then like a server at a restaurant might have it worse. And then like a janitor at a really crappy nightclub has it even worse that there is a spectrum. And then you get all the way to the end, prostitution, and it just becomes a different kind of thing. We're not talking about normal work, quote unquote, anymore. Do you agree with that? Well, yes. Really? I do. I'll just come out and say it. I think um, I think prostitution is wrong. I don't know if it should be illegal, but I do think it's wrong. And I think it can never be right. What do you think of that? Why don't you analyze my position here? What do you think of me thinking that it's just wrong? 
Well, okay, so here's the thing. As you were stating this position, you say that prostitution, you're purchasing a person. Yeah. But I don't think that's true, actually. You're not purchasing a person. If you hire a prostitute, you don't own that person. You have sex with that person, and you're paying for the Mm -hmm. sex act. You're not Mm -hmm. paying for the person. Yeah. You can't do whatever you want with that person. The person is not your slave. You can't take that person home and set her up in your living room. You pay for the sex act. I am a coach. I sit with clients in an office for an hour and we talk and I listen to them and I ask them questions and they don't own me. They're buying my time Mm -hmm. and they're buying my labor Mm -hmm. and we are engaging in actually a very intimate way. Sometimes people are much more intimate with me than they are with their sex partners and yet... Yeah, but in this freaky world, that doesn't mean anything. (laughs) (laughs) So in a way, they're buying me, but they're not buying me. They're just buying this time that we have for a particular kind of exchange. And I think the same is true for prostitution. Yeah. Looking back, I think I misspoke on that. I shouldn't have said buying the person. What I should have said was that the economic transaction makes a context that will not allow sex to be saved in the way that we saved it in episode 14. And so we can't use that escape patch. Mm. That there are contexts that I think get out of that problem, but the nature of transacting with someone else economically isn't enough to get us out of that problem. And so the Nordic model, backed up by these more radical feminists who say it is a direct reinforcement of society's larger subjugation of women, objectification of women. And I know we keep talking about women, but the vast majority of, and this is an empirical thing. Mm -hmm. My audible book is about this. It is mostly women servicing men. And so that's why I'm using these two genders, Mm -hmm. but that you can't get away from that objectification stuff. And so it is in itself, I think, morally wrong. I'm going to ask another set of questions. Go ahead. Do you then think that celebrities and models posing on the cover of fashion magazines is morally wrong? No. Why not? Because isn't it the same objectification of people, of women particularly? Yeah. I think it's the distance argument that there's something about doing that act in the same physical location with the John or customer that transforms it for me into something that is morally untenable. That I could see someone totally posing for risque pictures and it not operating in the same way as someone even not having vaginal sex, but just giving a hand job fundamentally breaks down how you see this person as a person. That, to me, seems to be based on perhaps your experiences, but I don't think it can be true for everybody. And I also think that it may be more damaging to more people to see celebrities airbrushed on the cover of magazines than it is for many fewer people to sell sex for money. Yeah, but I guess what I would just say is the argument there is if this is about intimacy, being in the room with someone is just qualitatively different than seeing someone on the screen. There's a distance with the screen or the TV or a magazine that isn't there. And that can help blur the lines between fantasy and economic purchase and reality. That what the Nordic model is saying happens in this situation of reinforcing degradation and subjugation of women is that what was just this 
cool economic model becomes something people actually inhabit, like physically inhabit. And that's why they would make a difference between forms of sex work that aren't about physically inhabiting the person and those that are. You could say that it's a distinction that doesn't have a real meaning, but I think to be fair to them, they have made a distinction (laughs) between prostitution and other forms of sex work. I'm going to give you a couple of case studies just to try and bring this more concrete. Go ahead. I'm thinking of two particular instances. Let's say I have one instance in which I have a woman who agrees to model for a men's magazine. Mm -hmm. And she goes through the process and she's made to feel in the process by the people that she's working with. They just sort of treat her like badly. They sort of use language that is objectifying Mm -hmm. and they don't treat her like a full human being. And she goes through the shoot and no one actually touches her. They just... Right. Let's say she's wearing a swimsuit the entire time, right? She's never naked. Mm Mm-hmm. But the photographer is an asshole, and the person doing all the paperwork is an asshole, and she leaves just feeling like she's just kind of been, like, used up and doesn't feel great about the whole thing. But she got her check, and she goes home. So let's compare that person who did not engage in sex, and even, let's say she's not even in a bathing suit, she's just in clothes, whatever, to a person who agrees to prostitute, and she gets a phone call, and there's this guy, and he just seems really kind of lonely, and mm-hmm. he just wants some intimacy, and he wants to feel physically close to someone, and he just, like, feels really insecure, and mm-hmm. he doesn't date a lot, and so he calls someone up, and he's very nice to her, and they have sex, and he is respectful and kind and never does anything that she doesn't want him to, and she gets her check and goes home. Mm-hmm. And you're saying that the latter is automatically immoral. Yes. You could degrade and exploit someone in any number of situations, and it would be wrong. And I think clearly treating the woman in the swimsuit or just regular clothes that poorly is wrong. Mm -hmm. I think even the very nice, respectful guy who's really cool and he's just lonely and he's vetted and nothing, quote unquote, bad happens. Yes, I think that's wrong. Why? Morally. (laughs) I admit that this is not a popular position. (laughs) Getting more specific to your example, the idea that you can purchase intimacy from another person and that they can subordinate themselves to the needs that you have, whether they're physical or emotional, strikes me as playing into the larger social belief that women should be there to provide for men's needs. And so even if nothing bad, quote unquote, happened in the situation, I still think it's morally wrong because it participates in that. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about that? You know, I'm kind of giving you a hard time on all this. And, and I understand. You should, though. <laughs> I mean, I understand this idea that we live in a patriarchal society. Yes, we don't want to do things that contribute to the idea that women are objects. Mm-hmm. And I get that. But I just feel this particular act, there's not something inherent in it that does that. I think the thing that does that is the, like, attitude of culture and society and i'm more pissed off about the fact that people don't get paid parental leave and that women make 70 cents to the dollar and no women has been president and yada all these other like liberal feminist concerns to me that is more indicative and granted i understand that prostitution for a lot of people 
just perpetuates this idea that women can be bought. But I don't mm-hmm. think there there is something inherent in that act that necessitates that. Now, given the context that we live in, I get it. But I don't think that it is by its nature immoral. Let me try my two last bites and then maybe we can summarize where we are and I'll see if I've convinced you to take on my moralization here. Okay. <laughs> if prostitution was legitimate sex work or was legitimate work Mm -hmm. that there's nothing different between sex work and any other kind of work Mm -hmm. let's say somebody is unemployed let's say they're unemployed for like a year and they go to this unemployment office and the unemployment office says okay uh, have you looked for work and the person says yes and they tell you know they went to burger king but burger king wasn't hiring they went to the apple store the apple store wasn't hiring And then as they're in the meeting with their unemployment advisor, a fax comes in because, you know, these government offices, they're like the old technology with the fax machines. And the brothel down the corner has an opening. If prostitution is just like any other work, should the unemployment advisor force this person to apply at the brothel? I mean, can they force them to apply to Burger King? Yes. They'll cut off your benefits. Look, I know you've been living the high life on academia. But, like, this is how unemployment works. No, I think that the stipulation from the unemployment office is that you need to apply for X number of jobs a week. But I don't think they tell you which ones. Oh, they can. Yes. They can give you a list. Yes, they can. (laughs) This is where we're showing our class differences. (laughs) Oh, they most certainly can. Well, so I didn't just bring up this example out of thin air. This happened in Germany. So in Germany, prostitution is legalized. It is highly regulated. And it came up. That, you know, after the law had been passed, a few months went by, and then there were these brothels that organized as legitimate businesses, Mm -hmm. and someone came to their unemployment office because you have to check in for your benefits, and the job was there. Mm -hmm. And following the logic of this is work like any other work, they had to apply. Mm -hmm. And this became a big controversy, and what ended up happening was the law had to be changed because they want to treat it as work. But it's a different kind of work. Right. So does that move you at all? Man, it does. If it's really work like any other work, then it should be open to everybody. And and the flip side of being open to everybody (laughs) is it could be demanded of anybody. Right. Yeah. I mean, (sighs) yeah, it does. It makes me think. Because I think like, okay, well, if someone demanded that I... I don't know, help clean out pigsties or something for my job, that it might be something that I wouldn't want to do. But it does feel different, given the cultural context that we are in. It feels like a fundamental violation, Uh. wouldn't it? It would to me. Uh I've done many jobs that I completely hate and completely suck. It would feel nothing like that to me, to not even take the job, but to be in a position where I had to at least go up and show up for an appointment to be interviewed for it. Mm-hmm. What that shows is even if we want to say it's work like any other work, we kind of know it isn't work like any other kind of work. Mm-hmm. Well, here's my question, um, which I guess uh, shows you where my loyalties are. How much does this job pay? <laughs> Very poorly, <laughs> relatively speaking. Uh, right. So that's the issue. Really? Oh, no, well, no. I mean, that's an issue. No, no, no. This but... is so interesting to me. <laughs> How? Well, I think different kinds of work yield and warrant different kinds of pay uh-huh. in our culture, in our capitalist society. And I think mm-hmm. that sex work... Now, granted, I don't know what the going rate 
what the going rate is <laughs> for a prostitute. <laughs> I imagine it varies. I would hope that if it were legalized, the market would place that very high. Why? Mm. I'm being serious. Why do you think it should be high? Because of the level of risk involved. Mm, yeah. And I think the Nordic model people are going to say, that's another sign that deep down, you know, it's a different kind of thing. Mm -hmm, Like mm -hmm. a guy could be working construction, fall off a roof and die. Right. But I don't think we would tell prostitutes that they have to make the same wage. We would kind of think it's different. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't know. That one moves me. And I'm glad you brought it up. It's it's sort of the law of unintended consequences Uh because you think you're doing everything right. And then you're like, oh, wow, fuck. We have this system where you got to apply for jobs. Right, right. (laughs) So I have another question for you, though. Go ahead. If you think that prostitution is wrong in the way you've Mm -hmm. described, would you say the same of stripping where no sex is exchanged? Thank you so much for saying that because I have actually clouded my issue and I should say it as a way of uh, wrapping us up. Okay. I believe prostitution is morally wrong. I love the prostitutes, though. They're good people. I just think it is morally wrong. Mm. I don't think it should be illegal. But I do think it is morally wrong. It's one of these things of a legal thing that I think is morally wrong. Right. Of which there are are plenty. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And so I'm not going to make any distinctions there. For me, it is the physical contact with someone making degradation and subjugation physically manifest. So I don't have any problem with pornography. (laughs) My computer knows that. (laughs) I don't have any problem with stripping. I don't have any problem with risque movies or dirty jokes. I I actually do have problem with some jokes, but that's a whole other episode. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. For me, it's that when you have a physical connection to someone where you're objectifying and degrading them, I think it's just impossible for you to be able to distance yourself and make it just about the economics or just about the fantasy that it just blurs the line. And that's why I think it's morally wrong. I guess this goes back to our other episode, but does that mean that any sex is morally wrong? For me? Yeah. No. Why would you think it makes any sex wrong? If the thing that makes it wrong is Mm -hmm. the physical enactment of objectification... Mm-hmm. Isn't that true in sex? Isn't that what we've explored in the past? I mean, you said that earlier. You think that like orgasm is always kind of focusing on your own pleasure. And in a way, all sex is objectifying. I think the vast majority of sex is objectifying. The vast majority of sex is morally problematic. We don't like to think about it because we enjoy it so much. Mm-hmm. But it is. But I do think there can be a context that saves it, something larger. So it's this objectification of the other person, but if it's within a larger context of a relationship or of a fling or of a broader enjoyment, that could potentially save it. And that's how I choose to participate in sex. It can't just be the sort of animalistic pleasure that that in and of itself is morally problematic and is always morally problematic. But if it takes place in a larger context, and I don't just mean like marriage, obviously, I don't just mean marriage, Mm -hmm. but like of a larger project, then I do think it can be saved. It isn't always, obviously, but it can be. So just to clarify, then the reason that prostitution is problematic then is because the context, like you don't have a lasting relationship with this person. 
outside of this sex act. And so the sex act is objectifying, and that's like the extent of the relationship. And therefore, because it's objectifying, it's immoral. Right. And lasting relationship to me isn't like, you know, a long-term thing necessarily. It could be a very short fling. But the largerness of the short-term fling is what gives a context that is beyond just the orgasm, that is beyond just the animalistic objectifying of someone else for your own internal pleasure. Mm. And I know I sound like a prude when I say it that way. Man, you sure do. To be honest, I think I got the arguments on my side. (laughs) I think if you look at it, I would just finish up with this. So am I just patronizing these prostitutes when I say you think you're an open, consenting person, but no, 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 you're just participating in this? And I would say I can be, and I think many Radical feminists are really pain in the ass patronizing people. But just like race and just like class, sexism is a larger social structure that we're all born into. Mm -hmm. And there are many cases of people who have a false consciousness, who think I'm willingly living in this society and I accept that the police will have to beat up some people. And I'm like, dude, you may not see that you're participating in some racist thing, but you're participating in some racist thing. And there may be people who say, well, get the best wage you can. And if you can't get enough money, that's because you're not a competitive enough employee. And I say, dude, you may not think you're operating in classicism, but you are. Mm -hmm. That false consciousness is actually a real thing. And you can be an obnoxious, patronizing person for pointing it out, but it doesn't mean that that isn't happening. And pretty clear to me that women are objectified and subordinated in particular with respect to sex and that prostitution participates and reinforces that. Well, I think we should wrap there. I really enjoyed this conversation. Have I convinced you of anything? I mean... It's okay to say no. I don't... I wouldn't say convinced is too strong a word, but I'm certainly thinking about it differently than I did when we started, so... Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah, it's good. And listeners, we want to know what you are thinking about it after listening to this conversation. So please come let us know. Come to our website, thinkhardpodcast.com, and leave a comment or question for us. We'd love to hear what you have to say, and we'll uh, read your comment on the show. We're going to talk about what we've been thinking about since our last episode. But first, we're going to talk about Audible. Audible has the largest library of audiobooks in the world. And you have a book on this topic that you'd like to share with our listeners. Indeed, Danielle. Continuing my tradition of suggesting books that say the complete opposite of what I've said, (laughs) I would like to suggest Revolting Prostitutes, The Fight for Sex Workers' Rights by Molly Smith and June Mack. Mm. It is this book, uh, comes out of Verso Press, is one of the most amazing books I've read. Wow. First part of the book traces the history of prostitution from older times throughout the world into the modern day. And they make an argument that sex work should be decriminalized and that it should be treated as a regular form of work. And specifically, they make the argument that sex work is a rough exploitation of the worker, just like every other job. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I think they say it very well, in part because instead of doing what philosophers do of coming up with some sort of theoretical position and then applying it to the question, they took the opposite route. They took the stories of actual sex workers and then analyzed what those stories were pointing out. And I thought it was an amazing book. It's uh, Revolting Prostitutes, The Fight for Sex Workers' Rights. 
Awesome. That sounds like a great read. And dear listeners, right now you can get it for free. All you got to do is go to thinkhardpodcast.com slash audible. And right now Audible is offering a free audiobook to start. After 30 days, you get one audiobook a month for $14.95 a month. You get 30% off the price of any additional book purchases, and you can cancel at any time. So any books that you get are yours to keep even after you cancel. So you just go to thinkhardpodcast.com slash audible. Again, that's thinkhardpodcast.com slash audible. Okay, Jose, what have you been thinking about since our last episode? I have been thinking about U.S. women's soccer. Ooh. The football. <laughs> Danielle, as you know, it is Women's World Cup uh-huh. going on right now. I actually didn't know that. Oh, you did not? <laughs> I didn't. The U.S. women's national team is doing amazing. They had a nail-biter 1-2 win over England. Mm. It was actually a fantastic game, came right down to the end. They've just been doing amazing this year. And specifically, what I've been thinking about is how women's national soccer in particular really shows how direct government intervention can actually succeed. You know, there's this kind of conservative trope that the government can't do anything right. Mm. And I think it is the United States commitment to Title IX, to equal funding of women's sports, that over time has built up women's soccer in this country to the point that it is the best in the world. Mm. And I think a lot of people could not have believed that when Title IX first came out, that it would actually have such a difference. We want to think that success is just natural or comes out of thin air, and it Mm. doesn't. It comes out of a society's direct intervention. Go USA. (laughs) Go women. USA. USA. Well, thank you. So I have been thinking about this week something really fun and silly. Mm. A friend of mine sent this to me. It is a YouTube video, and the title is Werner Herzog Reads Where's Waldo. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) That seems amazing. It is so amazing. It is literally the director, Werner Herzog, going through Waldo books and talking about the plight of Waldo. And (laughs) he is just like, I just have to read. It's not very long, but man, Mm -hmm. is it funny. There's this little quote where he's, and I'm going to try and do my best Werner Herzog voice. (laughs) His only lifeline to his friends. No, that's French. His only (laughs) lifeline to his friends and family. A litany of dreary picture postcards sent from arbitrary locations the world (laughs) over. These postcards do nothing to convey the humanity, the madness of Valdo's adventures. For that... We must go find him. (laughs) It's just (laughs) so amazing. And everyone should go watch it. It's very short. We'll put it on our What We've Been Thinking About page. Werner Herzog reads Where's Waldo. I think that's amazing. (laughs) It's really fun. It's silly, but man, is it fun. All right. That's our show for today. Thank you so much for listening. Please tell us what you think. Come visit us at thinkhardpodcast.com. You can find all of our archives. Leave a comment or question for us there. Come to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash thinkhardpodcast. You can talk to other listeners of the show. Please leave a review for us. If you like this show, leave a review for us on Apple Podcasts or on Stitcher or on wherever, whatever app you're listening to us on that helps other people find the show. Thanks to Dan Shore 
Short, our editor and engineer. You can find him at danisnotshort.com. Thanks to Ben Sound at bensound.com for the music for today's episode. You can follow Jose Muniz on Twitter at the Muniz. You can follow me, Daniela Sousa, at Daniela Sousa, and you can follow Think Hard at Think Hard Pod. So that's our show for today, and we'll be back again in two weeks. See ya. See ya.